You know you can tell me anything, right? Yeah, I know. Have you ever had any difficulty getting to sleep? Uh, lately, yes. Sarah? Have you ever been diagnosed with any sleeping disorders? Sleepwalking, night terrors, insomnia? I used to sleepwalk as a kid, but I haven't in years. Well, what are you studying? I can't tell you that. It's a nightmare. Are we ready? Don't you ever feel like you're seeing something that you're not supposed to? Is this your first sleeping clinic? Do you feel well rested? For some reason, we always figure out a way to simply discount them as just dreams. If I show this to you, you cannot tell anyone. Listen to me. I think your science project is fucking me up. Joining me on Zoom today is Canadian filmmaker Anthony Scott Burns. He's the director, cinematographer, composer, writer of a brand new film, Come True. It hits VOD platforms, all VOD platforms. Don't worry if you're shot, tell us, iTunes, Amazon, whatever it is that you want, you can be able to find it on March 12th. And I highly suggest you seek it out. Welcome to the show, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Oh, it is an absolute pleasure. We were kind of talking before this started, and I thought to myself, I'm like, how have I never heard of this person? Because uh, the kind of impact that this feature had on me, uh, I just was kind of stunned and mostly disappointed in myself that you haven't been on my radar yet. But we'll get to more about that in a second. In this film, your frightening sci-fi kind of horror film is called Come True. It's about a young runaway, played by Julia Sarah Stone, who takes part in a sleep study to examine her reoccurring nightmares, only to find out that there may be more to the nightmares than just mere dreams. You know, and I'll just outline the plot there briefly, but why don't we give the audience a little bit more context about your story to prepare them for what is truly an experience and come true? Uh, preparation. <laughs> I, I don't know how to best prepare them to see the film. Well, this story came to me when I had seen a video online about Berkeley doing some studies where they were using brainwave technology. I don't know the best way to describe this. They were monitoring brainwaves. They were able to see what was coming through the ocular nerves and, and to re-sort of constitute that into imagery. And so using nothing more than someone's brainwaves, they could tell using the software, they could reconstitute into imagery. And that really blew my mind because... Right away, I thought, well, if they can see what our eyes see digitally, how long before we can see what we dream? And I wanted to make a movie about that. <laughs> That's really where it came from. I wanted to make a movie about the scientific approach to what that would mean. And at the same time, I had seen Roger's documentary, The Nightmare, and had sort of come to terms with the fact that I had had sleep paralysis as a kid. Uh, when my mother passed away, when I was eight years old, I had seen a shadowy figure at the end of my bed. And to those who don't know about sleep paralysis, I suggest you look into it. It's a very freaky phenomenon in which the sleeper wakes up, but the muscle control that is turned off when you sleep so that you don't act out your dreams uh, is still in place. And so you're, you're awake and yet you cannot move. And in some cases, when that happens, people tend to have what scientists think are hallucinations, but these halluc hallucinations are manifest themselves as shadow people. <laughs> and it's talked about in this documentary, that The Nightmare, and the idea that I had not only had it, but the documentary reveals that many people have it, and we 
consistently we'll see the same things. And that juxtaposition of science getting to the point where they could maybe see dreams and the fact that so many people see the same thing when they have the sleep paralysis just led me down the path of wanting to make a movie, a horror movie, about what that would mean to somebody and what that sort of science would reveal. And I'm a sort of a deep believer in the psychological studies and dream studies of Carl Jung. And I sort of wanted to weave all of that in with the plot as well and make something dark, mysterious that could be described as my cinematic dream. And that's where Come True was born out of, <laughs> long-windedly. No, no, not too long-winded. I mean, it's the kind of film that deserves that kind of insight. You know, the journey of the character, Sarah, is continually, she's trying to unravel this kind of nocturnal cross that she bears, uh, much like you just even referred to for yourself, so that she can start to feel like herself again. So you just referenced it. In many ways, in writing this, and in some ways, living through experiences like that, you've had to kind of go through what your character has, even though you're not necessarily an actor, and even for yourself in real life. So how do you kind of try to tap into that again, even though you've had those experiences, and how do you kind of tap into it even further by trying to create that character? So you kind of have to put yourself through those experiences again, or at least try to understand it as much as you possibly can. Yeah, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to film Come True in Edmonton in the first place was because I had spent my teenage years here. And that the exact time that Sarah is going through that confusing period in high school when you don't know who you really are and who you're supposed to be. And I wanted to turn that period into the impetus for the horror because I myself sort of found out who I was in that period and who I wanted to be. And I wanted to sort of revisit that journey and sort of create something thrilling and scary because it is a scary period in, in development and growth. And I wanted to be a filmmaker. I had always wanted to be a filmmaker, but it seemed out of touch. I didn't grow up with money and I grew up, you know, in Clareview and went to I got kicked out of many high schools here in town. Teachers will remember me. I didn't particularly get great grades except for in art. <laughs> there was no choice for me but to do these sort of things. And it was just a confusing time. And I wanted to really pull from that. And that's why, you know, shooting in our old neighborhoods and, and old haunts was really, really part of the DNA of the film and creating what would not only be a dreamlike experience for the audience and the character, but for myself as well. We're speaking via Zoom today with Anthony Scott Burns. He's the director, cinematographer, composer, and writer behind the brand new film, Come True. It hits VOD platforms on March 12th. Uh, not only did he grow up here, but he filmed the film here. So, you know, if you're one of those people that likes to watch movies purely just to notice places in town, uh, and I guess this is right up your alley, but there are infinitely more reasons to check out this film. You know, one of the people that is connected to the film is a name that maybe some of the listeners in the audience, I hope at least of a show like this specifically, would be familiar with your executive producer, uh, Vincenzo Natale. And I was going through some readers for this and I, I noticed in an interview uh, that he did with you that Vincenzo said, Anthony is, to steal a term from William Gibson, what I like to call a garage Kubrick, because he can do everything. He writes, directs, photographs, edits, does the music and the visual effects, literally. You know, many people do this, but uh, it's a different thing when you do it well, like you do, Anthony. So 
is it is it in a continual internal struggle with all these kind of facets of your creativity? And how do you balance the energy spent so that all these different hats that you wear can actually coexist, all these different facets of your artistic personality? Well, that's a lot of questions. <laughs> uh, garage Kubrick, it's a fun term. If only it were true that I was anywhere near as creative as Stanley Kubrick. You know, it really isn't hard to juggle and it, it's about compartmentalizing. And the only reason I, I, you know, a lot of people ask me, why do you do so many jobs? You know, don't you want to work in a traditional manner? I, I, I did a feature film uh, previously called Our House. And one of the things, you know, that was tough was having enough time with the actors and having enough time to explore what needed to be explored um, in terms of story and character and I had sort of, you know, over the years, listening to enough, a number of commentaries, you start to get this picture that there are many ways to make a film, but yet a lot of people think there's only one. When it came time to do Come True, which was supposed to be my first movie, but some people in the business thought it might be a little bit too weird to come out of the gate with that. But the, the experience on our house showed me that I wouldn't have enough time doing it the traditional way because you need to have a full union crew, et cetera, et cetera. And, you, and listen, those craftspeople are worth it, but it was for every craftsperson you got, you lost days of shooting. And when you look at classic films that we, we grew up loving, they all had hundreds of days of shooting. Now movies have 14 to 30 days of shooting. And I don't know if people at home who watch films, especially in genre, know that, that, that the, due to the change and shift in market, the amount of time you get to make the films has drastically been slashed and yet you still want to compete and you want to make a great movie. And so we determined that the best way to do it was the old way, the, the, the film school way. I mean, I didn't go to film school, but I call it school way where you're, you're a really tiny crew and you're just out there doing your thing. Vincenzo calls me the garage Kubrick. It's because we pretty much do everything with, you know, it's a five person crew, which is really crazy to some people. But what that afforded us is many days to shoot. And those days mean exploring the characters, exploring the meaning and having a, and having a great time doing it. That's that film sets can be very stressful. And I don't think there's any need for them to be that way. And I try to foster a, a set where it isn't, where we're all having fun and we're enjoying the process of creation. You know, you're talking about how do I juggle all that is that I, I try to enjoy the moments that I'm doing something, whether it's spray painting a prop or choosing. I, I've been to every value village in Calgary and Edmonton. <laughs> you know, there is at getting the costumes for this movie. It's almost like you're a magician. You're trying to make it look like you didn't do that. We're trying to make it look like there's a professional costume designer, production designer, and all this stuff in our film. Uh, I mean, I will add that we did have a professional uh, costume designer for the sleep suits. They were uh, designed and created uh, by Evan Bedell, who was the winner of Project Runway Canada. So we choose our collaborators where they need to be chosen specifically. Another, you know, some of the people who helped me on the dreams. I mean, one of the collaborators on the dreams designed the new Batmobile for Matt Reeves film. So I'm picking and choosing my friends and collaborators, uh, you know, on these projects, depending on where they're best suited. And so it's not all me. I have a great team, but it's a small, small team, right down to the poster. I mean, we, we have Sarah Deck who did the poster for Come True and she did Suspiria and she's done a number of things for Mondo. And so it's just about really having great, great 
collaborators when you can afford it. And when you can't, it's, it's me running around town with my producer, Nick, and, and just getting it done with a can of glue. <laughs> and uh, yeah, same could be said for the score. You know, I bring in Electric Youth because they're great friends of mine and we collaborate on that. And when they can, and when they're not working on their album, they're, they're writing a few cues in the film. And it just, you know, it just helps in return. I do a remix of their song and we've been working for the past decade, just, you know, creating a really great circle of friends and we all on each other's projects. And I think that's how it was back in the day. And that's how it's going to be going on. You just have to find a really good group of core people who love to work on this stuff the same way you do. And that's what comes full circle is that the, the re how I juggle this is I, I, I find the love in the work. And I really do love the work, all aspects of it. We're speaking via Zoom with Anthony Scott Burns. The film that we're talking about is this brand new feature-length film, Come True. It hits VOD platforms on March 12th. You can catch it pretty much anywhere. Now, we, uh, we just talked about Vincenzo Natale, of course, things like Cube, Splice, uh, many other films that he's known for. Talk to us a little bit about how he found you and what that working relationship has meant not only for yourself, but uh, also for this feature. Well, how do I start with Vincenzo? Vincenzo is one of those special people that you very rarely meet who is so open and so giving that you can't believe they're a real person. <laughs> and they're very rare to find, especially in certain you know artistic communities where he's not someone who sees uh, the world of filmmaking as, you know, a pie that there's very few pieces of. He sees it as something that that there's so much to go around, and that that that's what I'm talking about. Is that he's so open to bringing people in. And what happened with us was he had found some of my work online because I was doing short films while I was also directing commercials. And he just called me one day, and just said, "Hey, I really like your stuff." And I said, "Hey, I really love your stuff too." I mean, I grew up, you know, here in Edmonton, going to the movie studio and renting his movies. And so to have him call me up and say, hey, and, and from there, we just sort of, you know, we met up for coffee and just talked films and realized we had a lot in common. He invited me to direct an episode of Copper Hearts television show Darknet, which he was a producer of. And from there, it just, you know, it became a very great working collaborative friendship. And, you know, whenever I can help him on a project, I, I did second unit directing on his, his Netflix film uh, In the Tall Grass. And he helps me to sort of navigate the Hollywood system because he did it and he knows it. And he knows, you know, he helped, he helped me not spend 10 years trying to develop things in Hollywood. He, he had been through that. And so he was a wise mentor and he, he just graciously brought me in. And, you know, to anyone out there who, who is wanting to get into this, those are the kinds of people that really make a difference because it is, it seems like a dream to sort of be able to make movies and, 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 get paid to do your art. And when people like Vincenzo come along, it, it really is, it's a godsend. And he really, really helped me get where I am today. And I wouldn't be here without him. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say. It's just been a really great relationship. And we continue to just talk about things and send scripts and images. And it's been awesome. <laughs> and you should watch all his moves and, and support everything he does because of it, because he is just one of those rare gems. I like that. Yes. If, you, if you're like, who are we talking about? I'm like, seek all of that out. Uh, it's all worth your while. What I loved about this film is that it is so incredibly atmospheric. And I know that's a word that gets overused a lot, particularly in, 
and kind of cinema that lends itself to this visionary style. director is the only thing that is more overused than atmosphere <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know visionary director yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well you know at least i called myself on my own trope yeah no it's funny <laughs> so but the i was just stunned right off the hop on how much low-key kind of lighting that you use and how well you employ it and one of the things that i kept thinking about is i'm like this is the the greatest moments of film noir blended with sci-fi and horror talk to us about the uh, the look of the film and how you played with shadow and light in the most beautiful ways to be so minimalist and and really have it punctuate the film i think the starting point for this film was disney's alice in wonderland i wanted to make a film that felt like a dream but not overtly you know it wasn't highly stylized and i thought to myself what's the what's the biggest marker you know for me and and sort of baseline and and alice in wonderland was that and and, I, and what i mean by that is that the lighting style came from my desire to use really soft light that focused your attention and whether it's in the dreams or in reality you see that we're using light to focus your attention and that's what was done in that in that disney classic they use light to focus your attention and it's everything sort of falls off in the distance. More so in the dreams in this one, you know, we employ that style, but even in whether they're sitting in a room. And obviously with the newer technologies, it's a lot easier to sort of approach this style of reality and soft lighting, but it's not quite reality. And I think that's what you're responding to is that it, it has a soft ease to the image and yet it seems stylized. I guess the other influences were, were, I watch a lot of European cinema and that was sort of, that's the dominant sort of lighting style of a, of a lot of Nordic films. Uh, it's just a softness in a, in a, it's hard to describe the quality other than it's an altered reality. And I think that's why it worked for a dream film is that it feels like this should be real, but there's just something a little off from it. And of course, all throughout the film, I'm sure you noticed, I'm weaving in sort of visual cues and nods to um, classic films. And again, this, this comes from the, the want and desire to layer in as much dream imagery. And what I mean by dream Im imagery is that, that this film works as my dream, my cinematic dream, built of everything that I've watched and enjoyed and loved. And that's how the cinema sort of is, is presented. You know, it, some people will think that certain frames look very 1980s, but that's because I grew up in the 80s. There's also certain frames that look very 40s. And it's just, this is a cinematic dream. And that's the best way I can describe how and why the cinema and the, and the, the language of the cinematography is the way it is, is that it's just meant to be a cinematic dream from beginning to end. Because I had read that you referenced Alice in Wonderland as kind of like a visual inspiration in some ways. And that really, in, in a lot of ways, blew my mind. And then the other one that you said is when you coupled that with Tron, I just thought, man, like that's the amazing thing. It's like you're using those two reference points. But when I watch the film, I'm like, I guess I can see that in retrospect, but there's nothing in that that made me think, oh, he's clearly pulling on this. So I think that is a testament to, to the creative level that you're at. 
with this film come true as well. Thank you, thank you. That's that's really important to me because there is a real differ, differentiation between, even if you think about the music in the film, because there are synthesizers used, a lot of people will jump to the conclusion that this is an 80s emulation. But like, like you're saying, this isn't me trying to make an 80s emulation film. It's me reinterpreting the things I love about those things into something that I think is modern and new. And it's really important to me that that, that happened because me just doing what other people have done interests me. I'm trying to reinterpret it and allow my own subconscious to pull from those influences and make it into something new, much like someone like David Lynchwood. It's a great example because when you watch his films, there's something 1950s about them. And yet they're not 1950s films or, or, or TV series. But there is something from his childhood weaved in there. And I think it's the same. I can't escape it. The 1980s is where I grew up. And so those things are just weaved into who I am. And therefore, they come out. And it's in little bits here and there, just like Lynch's 1950s bits come in here and there. It's you can't escape it. And so I just... I've learned to embrace it. If you would have said something like Lost Highway, I'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, I see that with a lot of the light and stuff like that, but maybe less of the noir. So, yeah, <laughs> so Lost Highway. Like, uh, Lynch makes sense to me. One of my favorite films growing up. And uh, when I saw that, I think I saw it downtown. It was, it was uh, I think I saw it five times downtown. What was the theater, Capital? Yeah, that was a brain on Jasper Avenue that was yeah. further down from the uh, Paramount. <laughs> it was... Mind-blowing, mind-blowing film. Now, what element of your filmmaking kind of inspires you the most when you're writing? Do you, when you're writing, do you kind of like get inspired by score or kind of hear that for yourself? Um, is it that you're very much working visually and that kind of inspires your writing? Or do you feel like um, the kind of creativity of whether it's uh, the design of visual effects or something else that helps inspire you? What What kind of, I guess, feeds you as you're trying to write a screenplay out the most? The most, I would say probably music. Music's, music is where I usually start. I'll have an idea of what I, like an outline, a basic outline, and then I'll start to write music. And then I'll listen to that music or I'll find a song and it'll be, a, you know, this will be a, the song that the movie is built around. And that sort of happened with Electric Youth. I had done a remix of Modern Fears for them because we had been talking about doing, you know, collaborations for, for scores. And when I did the remix, I, I pleaded with them to let me hold on to it for come true. And they agreed that, you know, after I told them the story, that this is definitely something that needs to be in this film. And so with that and another piece of music that they had created called The Seeker, I would listen to those pieces and then I started to com compose other pieces and I would just listen to those while I was writing. And so it became the sort of tone and the mood of the film. And so it usually starts with an idea. I write down the simple outline and then I just work on the music and with collaborators sometimes. And then just once you have the music, I think you understand the tone and then it's just from there. It's, it's building it all out. And on this one on Come True, I had a friend, Daniel Weissenberger, help me with the outlining so that it would actually made more sense uh, than, you know, I'm somebody who I will go down experimental ways always. And so I like to have writer collaborators bring me back to planet earth. Both of us always having, you know, strong understanding of where we're headed. The music is really, really important to me. I think the music uh, makes up 80% of the emotion felt, you know, in any of, of my films. And so it's really, really, it's, it's a starting point. Honestly, it, it happens differently each time. 
each time. Sometimes it's you just you're just sitting there and you start writing and then you've got a script. Anthony Scott Burns has been our guest today. The film we're discussing is Come True. It's released by Raven Banner Entertainment. Uh, I'm sure that's one of the easier ways to kind of find out more about the film online through social media or anything like that. Uh, is there anywhere else you want to direct the audience to where they can check out some more about the film Come True when it's released on March 12th? I think IFC Midnight is probably a great place to to sort of direct people as well. So between Raven Banner and IFC Midnight, we've got all this stuff sort of covered. Uh, yeah, we've got a great there's a great release happening in the UK and Australia and Ireland and yeah it's going to be awesome it's been an absolute pleasure uh talking to you today Anthony Scott Burns has been our guest the film was for me I didn't know a lot going into it so hopefully now you people are prepared and it's not that it shocked me but I was just so incredibly drawn in by the film in ways that I was surprised I would be, not because I underestimated your talent or the strength of the story, but just because I didn't have a lot of context. And it's a fantastic film. If you love the things that, uh, that Anthony has mentioned here, if you love things like Lynch, or you know, there's a, a little sprinkling of maybe Cronenberg in there that many other reviewers have said, uh, you're going to love this film. Hell, if you just like smart uh, thrillers, that kind of like have slight horror elements. Uh, I think you're gonna really enjoy this film. Come True is what you wanna check out. It is on VOD platforms as of March 12th. I encourage you to see it and definitely even more importantly, check it out because you know we can limit what the importance is of that kind of $6.99 rental or whatever it costs for filmmakers or even ourselves. And we're like, well, we'll wait for it. Uh, but I think that when you make that choice and you watch that film on VOD, that it does a lot to support not only filmmakers like yourself, but other people structurally around these films uh, at a time when it's even harder to monetize it, that it becomes incredibly important. So uh, if you have any love in your heart for independent cinema, maybe you're, uh, you were in high school, you were Anthony Scott Burns' teacher. Uh, maybe you expelled Anthony Scott Burns <laughs> at one point from high school. Yeah. Check it out. It is worth the money. The film come true. So that, thank you so much for being on the show today, Anthony. Uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. I hope I didn't bore anybody with my long-winded, uh, unclear answers. <laughs> Not even remotely, sir. Not even remotely. 